Let us pray. You alone are my heart's desire. Heavenly Father, those are easy words to sing. They're harder words to live because we know our hearts. And we know that we don't always desire you as we should. In our better moments, we catch glimpses of your glory and we want to respond to you with all that we are, but we recognize that those often are just glimpses. And too easily, the the world and all its seductions and opportunities and uh, the things that it offers to us seem far more appealing than a relationship with you. And that, Lord, is why we need to be here to be reminded of who we are and to be reminded of who you are, that we might catch a longer glimpse of your glory and be more inspired to walk in your way. So Lord, as we attend to your word today, may it bed down into our hearts. May it take root and may it be fruitful in your good timing. Because we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, two weeks in, how are the New Year's resolutions going? I would guess that after all that uh, Christmas indulgence, a good few of us are trying to get back in the wagon and start eating more sensibly, but that's never easy when there's quality street and Christmas cake to be finished off, lots of it. Experts tell us that 40% of the population will be overweight after Christmas, but those are just round figures. (laughs) It's a fact of life that for good or for ill, what we eat is going to have an effect on our bodies. And in our gospel reading this morning, Jesus is telling us that what we see has a parallel effect on our hearts and on our souls. The eyes, says Jesus, are like a lamp for the body. If your eyes are sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are no good, your body will be in darkness. Now that needs a wee bit of unpacking if we're going to make sense of it. So for the avoidance of doubt, he's not talking about your actual eyesight here. Some folk get through their whole lives not needing glasses and some need glasses from childhood. That's not the issue. What Jesus is getting at here is how we use our eyes, what we train them on. Going back to eating, I can use my mouth to tuck into a plate of salad or a fish supper, and it's the same mouth I'm using in both cases, but I know there are better consequences if I choose salad over the chips, difficult though that may be. We all know that what we choose to eat goes a long way to determining our physical health. And I think Jesus is telling us today that what we choose to see goes a long way to determining our spiritual health, the quality of our inner life. There's a profound link between what goes on in our heart and what goes on with our eyes. When I was reflecting on that, I remembered a scene from The Silence of the Lambs, where Dr. Hannibal Lecter is helping an FBI agent called Clarice Starling 
to catch a serial killer. He's trying to help her get into the killer's mind so that she can understand how he operates. And this is what he says. He says, he covets Clarice. That's his nature. And how do we begin to covet? Do we seek things out to covet? No. We begin by coveting what we see every day. He's helping her realize that the killer's first victim was probably someone that he knew, someone local, someone had eyes had fallen on many times. The eyes influencing the heart. I remembered King David hanging around listlessly on the roof of his palace when he should have been leading his troops in battle and catching a glimpse of his neighbor's wife as she undressed for her evening bath. He could have turned away at that point and no harm would have been done, but his eyes lingered on her body and we all know where that choice led him. The eyes influencing the heart. And although it's become something of a cliche that children learn what they live with, like all cliches, it has a core of genuine truth at its center. It's worth hearing this reading again. If children live with criticism, they learn to condemn. If children live with hostility, they learn to fight. If children live with ridicule, they learn to be shy. If children live with shame, they learn to feel guilty. If children live with encouragement, they learn confidence. If children live with tolerance, they learn to be patient. If children live with praise, they learn to appreciate. If children live with acceptance, they learn to love. If children live with approval, they learn to like themselves. If children live with honesty, they learn truthfulness. If children live with security, they learn to have faith in themselves and others. If children live with friendliness, they learn that the world is a good place in which to live. What children see around them in life influences their hearts. And in a world so saturated with media and information, not all of it helpful, we have to work hard to make sure that we have the biggest influence on them, especially in their early years, because we can't let the internet disciple them. The eyes, says Jesus, are like a lamp for the body. If your eyes are sound, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are no good, your body will be in darkness. Graphically, I suppose we could put it like this. What we feed our eyes on, we feed our hearts on. What we behold develops a hold on us for good or for ill. But this simple graphic isn't the whole story in the eyes-heart relationship. Because the lines of action aren't one way. How we are in our hearts also determines what we choose to see. Maybe even what we are able to see. 18 days after the Civil Rights March in Washington in 1963, white supremacists planted a bomb in the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, and four children were killed. 
Connie Lynch, a member of the local Ku Klux Klan, was interviewed after the bombing and she was given a hard time by the reporters because innocent children had been killed and her response was staggering and I apologize in advance for the language I'm about to use. She said, they weren't children. Children are little people, little human beings, and that means white people. They're just niggers. And if there's four less niggers tonight, then I say good for whoever planted the bomb. What kind of a heart can't see a child as a child because of the color of their skin? What's in the heart affects what we are able to see. And at the other end of the spectrum, an American journalist was once watching Mother Teresa tending a patient whose wounds were infested with maggots. It was disgusting work. I wouldn't do that for a million dollars, said the reporter. She looked up at him and smiled. Neither would I, she said. Why put herself through that horrific exercise? Because in each one of them, I see Jesus in disguise, she said. The condition of our hearts determines what we are able to see with our eyes. And we can bring that idea much closer to home. We all know that there are folk that we find it hard to think badly of because we love them, and others we find it hard to see any good in because we dislike them. And the thing is, those judgments, however strongly felt, may not be sound. Our heart is dictating what we're able to see. And others might see the same people in a very different light. So to sum up, I think we need to revise our earlier diagram. Instead of a one-way street from eye to heart, it's more like a roundabout. What I take in through my eyes affects my heart, and how my heart is determines how I see things. And that maybe is where we need to pause and reflect and pray for a moment before we move on. So let's take a moment to pray together. Lord, we are here in the faith that you still speak to us today, and your word brings us a challenge this morning to reflect on this relationship between our eyes and our hearts. Father, we know ourselves, and we know our triggers, the ways that we use our eyes which are not helpful for our souls because they feed dissatisfaction, envy, lust, anxiety, or pride. We know too that because we're caught up in our duties or our pastimes, we miss things that we ought to see, the ways we might be able to help someone or get involved or make a difference, the opportunities to deepen relationships or to make new ones. 
And we confess too that at times our prejudice and our preconceptions stop us from seeing things through your eyes. We prefer our own skewed view of the world than the discomfort of having to rethink things from your perspective. Forgive us, Father, and hear us as in a moment of quiet we make our own confession and renew our resolutions before you. The eyes affect the condition of the heart, and the condition of the heart affects what we're able to see. And in finishing up this morning, I want to pick up on something that I think will help us in this business of seeing better. And it's an old word that we never use anymore, but that crops up pretty regularly in the Bible and in many of our Christmas carols. Oh, come, let us behold him. O come, let us behold him. O come, let us behold him, Christ the Lord. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, I am coming soon, says the Christ. Behold. In Greek, it's the word idou, I-D-O-U, which at its simplest just means see or look, but it's a much richer word than that. It's not just about seeing. It's about seeing and knowing, seeing and understanding, seeing and experiencing. Behold! Some of us were doing some beholding the other night. I don't think I've ever seen quite so many sunset pictures on Facebook. I've got a few of them to show you tonight. That's the first one. That was Ali Cruikshank who took that one. I don't know if Ali's here today. Beautiful wide panoramic shot of the sky. The next one was taken from the back of the, the manse, looking up to the, the gorgeous sunset. And then the last one is from the coffee apothecary uh, in Pitmedden. Uh, it's beautiful sunset that night. Something dragged us away from what we were doing to just stand and drink in the sheer beauty and gift of that sunset for a few minutes. It was too immense, too spectacular to be hurried. And so we lingered with it. We took our time and were blessed in the beholding. Why did it captivate so many of us? There were loads of people I knew. I'd never seen quite so many sunset pictures on Facebook. Everybody seemed to be gripped by this. And I can't speak for everybody, but I know for me, it was just this mixture of awe and beauty and gratitude that held me there. The absolute calm of the moment heightened the experience. It was almost completely still. And believe you me, you can't often say that on the man's patio. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I would imagine it's the same kind of thing. You're just caught up in the scale and the wonder of the thing, and it makes you grateful. 
It feeds your soul. And if you're looking right, creation can point you right back to the Creator. As the psalmist says, the heavens are telling the glory of God. And as C.S. Lewis says, the eye travels back up the sunbeam to behold the sun. These amazing moments of beauty and awe carry us back to the Creator with gratitude for all that He's given to us. But the thing is, with the right intention, even small acts of beholding can lead to that same sense of gratitude. I've spoken to you before about the retreat center in Perthshire that I go to called The Beeld. And one of the joys of going to The Beeld is that there's a lovely indoor swimming pool in the grounds of the big country house that's at the center of the establishment. And it's available to folk on retreat. And you almost always have the pool to yourself. And the little routines that I have now when I go for a swim are almost sacramental for me now. There's something that lead me into the presence of God. And I wrote this short piece about it back in 2007 when I started going. It's called Slowly to Recover. Just me in the pool, water slopping in the drains, and the sonorous hum of machinery doing exactly what it was meant to do. Twenty, thirty, forty, then one length slowly to recover. What exactly? The now, this gifted moment I am living. Golden ochre shimmers on the wave's crests, dappling the undertow of blues and indigos with liquid light. A thousand swells dancing, dying, reborn, beyond describing, beyond even seeing, simply beheld with sheer gratitude. Steaming shower, slowly to recover. Soothing aches, kindling limbs, and thankfulness to life again. Behold. Behold beyond the crimson sunset clouds, beyond the golden ochre shimmering in the waves' crests. Behold the God who gifted it all to us and who alone is worthy of our worship. And maybe it's because I'm a contemplative by nature, but praying for me for many years now has been more about beholding than asking. More about keeping silent, grateful company with God than asking things of Him. Now, there is petition too, and there's confession, but those things never come first. It's the beholding that informs the rest of my prayer because it reminds me who I'm talking to, who's in control of things, and who to be grateful to. Scientists tell us that when we behold someone we love, our pupils dilate. They let more light in. Perhaps that's why when we behold the God of our lives in prayer and linger with Him there, 
we return to the world with a wider, more generous view of those around us and hearts that are more ready to go wherever God will lead us. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word.